Welcome to the Face for Radio podcast. Getting real, too real, with radio's finest. Welcome to the first episode. Here we go. A Face for Radio podcast interviewing the personalities behind the microphone, pulling back the veil of what happens when the songs are playing, when the phone lines are closed, and when the on-air light goes off. I'm your host, Chachi Angelo, a former radio personality that simply loves talking about radio with other radio people. That's why I started this series. And when I first had the idea of this podcast, there was really only one person that would really set this thing off. Pittsburgh legend Jimmy Roach joins me on the phone. Welcome to the uh, welcome to the podcast, sir. Pardon me, I have to uh, go talk to Jimmy. I'm his secretary, but <laughs> since he's a legend, I have to go see if he's ready. <laughs> Yay! Yes, I'm ready. With the, with those Go pipes, ahead. that's so that's so crazy that you would hire a secretary <laughs> that has the same voice as you. <laughs> uh, she's got a great body. What can I say? I... <sighs> so how you been, man? I'm doing very very well. I uh, I've been out of radio for four years now. Mm-hmm. And I, after I got fired the last time, I thought, you know, I don't want to get fired anymore. I'm, <laughs> I'm I've been everywhere and, and, and every, you know, and, and now I'm old. So radio is tough enough when you're young, but you know, yeah. when you're old, it's really tough. Well, there are only like two or three radio jobs left in the whole world. So, you know, it, it, it's tough. So what are you doing in retirement? Well, I, I, uh, actually it's funny you should say that. Cause I, I was just playing the guitar before you called and I want to become the oldest million selling singer who you know who didn't have any success at all in his earlier years i want to be the first old guy that people go wow it's too bad he didn't have a career earlier because (laughs) he'll be dead soon you know it'd be that kind of a thing so are you a are are you a lead guitarist or are you a rhythm just to accompany just to accompany me when i sing okay that's all i want to do just you know what kind of style of music you going for i'm kind of i'm kind of folky bluesy country kind of mix okay okay so that all those things that that kind of sounds like your career yes yeah, <laughs> it's just like if you could define you know you know it's kind of funky kind of rock kind of blues kind of kind of country. country right yeah it does isn't it yeah i think i think there might be something in the back of my mind that led me in that direction. It's it's crazy that you and I worked together at Froggy in Pittsburgh for three years, and we saw yeah. each other twice. <laughs> you know, like, well, like <laughs> all that time. Nobody ever, nobody ever wants to come around the morning show because they said, "Why do you people get up at that?" Well, you know now, yeah, from you doing a morning show, it's a whole different lifestyle. It's like it's a separate animal from. The rest of the radio station. The rest of the you, world. Yeah, you're going to bed at eight o'clock or whatever, and and you're you're there when it's dark. Uh huh. And you leave before the afternoon guy gets in. So it's a it's it's a weird lifestyle. I mean, I was doing the night shift, so seven to midnight. Why would we ever cross paths? It was always like no. the the Christmas party or something. That was pretty much it. That was it. That and, was absolutely it. And I and I I take full blame of this. I didn't realize who you were even while I was working with you. 
You know, hey, I, I'm I'm reading liners. Tomorrow, the green team with Jimmy and Wendy, they're going to be doing this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, Jimmy Jimmy Roach. You know, I, well, who's Jimmy Roach? And the more, the more that I've been like not a co-worker with you is I'm like, I didn't realize the resource and the, the amount of, I guess, um, help that I could have gotten from you if I would have just picked up the phone at, you know, four o'clock on my way to work before you have dinner and, <laughs> and, and just like, I don't know, just shoot the shit with you a little bit then, you know, of just, and I would have, I was sitting by the phone waiting. I said, well, Chachi <laughs> never calls. I've got all this wisdom I've accumulated over hundreds of years and, and nobody's asking. Nobody's asking uh, for it. <laughs> nobody's asking for it, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it, I've gotten better as I've gotten older you know, it's funny. Now I'm a legend. Right. You know, when I was getting, when I was getting fired, you know, 15 <laughs> years ago or whatever, I was just kind of there. Eh, right. Eh. Right. It, it, I guess it's the same as, as anything else. You don't realize, uh, how good you had it until you're looking back on it. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think that's probably how people view your career. Wow, man, we had a great, Jimmy was good. You know, well, I don't know what you know, syndicated you know, show you, we have now, but man, Jimmy was good. <laughs> well, you know, I think I think we did have a good show. I was lucky to work with really smart, creative people. But I think what made it good was the era that it occurred in because we could do stuff. You know, we, I, I hear that a lot from, you know, even people that are just five, ten years older than me. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I got into radio in 19... 70. Okay. I was a jock at a freeform rock stage. Well, actually, it was a religious station in Columbus, Ohio, where okay, I so grew up. You grew up in Columbus and you started working for yeah. a, okay, a religious station. Yeah. Well, uh, here's a little <clears throat> snapshot. First of all, I, I wanted to be a sportscaster. Okay. So my wife called this broadcasting school without telling me. So a rep shows up at my house one day without me knowing, and he brings with him Nick Clooney. Now, the name may not mean anything to you. He was a regional TV celebrity whose son is George Clooney. Get out of here. So, so he's in my living room. <laughs> I'm 18 or 19. And, and you're married? And, oh, yeah. I had a baby. I, I, was, <laughs> I, had, I was a father at 18. Wow. So, so I ended up going to the school because I thought, well, if, if Nick Clooney endorses it, it must be a great deal. Turns out I was the only house he ever went to. <laughs> And they had wanted him to endorse it. And he thought, boy, this is a schlock outfit. I'm not going to. But anyway, it was back in the day when you thought you had to have special training to be in radio. Okay. That's what we just figured, oh, well, yeah, you got it. Granted, you had to have the license test back of course. then. Of you course. did have to do something. Yes. But you didn't have to have any special training. So I ended up getting this job at a religious station that my teacher applied for. <laughs> my teacher at broadcasting school applied for the job and I got it. Oh, okay. So you so, both were going for the job or your teacher we were applied going for, for the same it? Day. Yeah, he, he applied for it. <laughs> okay, okay. I got it. It was two two bucks an hour and I played sermons and I got to DJ every once in a while, some gospel music and do the weather. And after like three months, the boss came and said, we're going to go 12 hours of religion and 12 hours free form rock. Can you do it? I said, hey. hey. Okay, so hey, hey, right. So that was it, and I did. I was lucky to do 
when I started, it was totally free form. The boss said, we don't have any idea what to do with this. Do whatever you want. Wow. And, and I, I was able to model myself after me. I had never heard an album jock before. So I, I had no preconceived notions of what I should sound like. I just got on and was me. So you wanted to I, be, you wanted to be a sportscaster. Who were you? Right. But there weren't any jocks. <laughs> of course. But like, who were you watching that you're like, oh, I want to be that kind of personality. Well, it wasn't even that. It was just to be around sports because the okay. only sports guys there were were the TV sports guys. Right. The, the local news guys. There was no ESPN. There was no, you know, none of that stuff. And so you, the only guys you had were the three network local sports guys. Right. But okay. I wanted to be around sports, and but there were no openings then either, you know, because everybody wanted to be a sportscaster. <laughs> okay. So, so you then didn't... I started doing freeform rock, and I just I just had the best time because my friends would come in, we'd play six hours or whatever we wanted to play. So you're just, are you bringing in your own records? Are you telling the we had the... we had a big library? Yeah, and then I would bring in my own stuff, and we would just sit there and just play whatever we wanted. I, I remember my friend Jack coming in. I said, "You want to do six hours of Stones tonight?" And he goes, "Yeah." Let's do six hours of stone. Oh, man. So we did. <laughs> and, and I'm sure we had like three listeners, including maybe my mom. Of course. And I don't know who else. Oh, but we did have prison. The Ohio Penitentiary in Columbus oh. started sending me letters, and I did requests for them, which started a relationship that went on for years and years. I went into prison every week for years and had a music club in the joint. No. Um, Oh yeah. Okay, well, let's let's just let's just pause and let's just talk about that for a second. So you're getting you're getting letters from prisoners, and right. and they're just like for requests. Hey, for requests. I was playing like Ball and Chain by Janis Joplin, you know, for the prison guys. <laughs> okay, okay. And then one guy said, "Well, why don't you come down and 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 visit me?" So I went to the visiting room, and then well, I talked wait, to the wait, wait, what is that? What? Wait. All right. You're married. You have a kid. And, you're, and right. you get an invitation to just show up to the visitation at the prison, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Well, I'd been taking requests for a couple of months, you know, so I go down, and I, I went to the warden. I said, well, what if I started a music club, and maybe we could put a band together, and I could collect instruments? And he said, okay. So oh my God. starting the next week, that Saturday, I went in, and they just took me in and dumped me off in this room in the middle of the prison with like 60 cons and and we started a club and you were just and and this is this is the diversion like you're saying that you're playing music now this is where it could have started yeah yeah <laughs> okay. absolutely so i'm in the joint there with all these guys yeah. and uh it was highly unique because i i i broke up a riot at one point no I, uh, well, we had a black gang from Cleveland, and we had a bunch of biker dudes from Columbus, and they were going to get. And I'm running back and forth between these rooms, trying to keep them from killing each other. We had uh, one guy asked me to help him escape. I, I got anyway. So I did this for like three years. We we started a band. I collected the instruments from my listeners. Okay, we put on a show. In the visiting room, we put on a show. I invited all the girls from Ohio State to come, and I said, don't wear bras. I said, just be bouncy and stuff, because the guys will love it. Right. And they they got to mingle with the cons at the show. Yeah. And the warden at the end, he says, this will never happen again. <laughs> I, I, 
They were they were grids like that. They were scrubbing the walls for the next (laughs) month. They were just bleaching the walls. One of my favorite cons named Monk. This girl was sitting on his lap, and I swear she'd got lifted up in the air about a foot. (laughs) It was just it was just the funniest thing. The warden was dying. He was just dying. And what year is this? This is still early seventies. Late 1970 into 71 into 72. Okay. <laughs> all of 72. Then I moved to Pittsburgh in 73, but I kept going back uh, to Lucasville, which is where the new prison was down in southern Ohio. But uh, it was funny because guys would get paroled and they wouldn't have anywhere to go. And a couple of them, I had them come to my house. And I remember this one, <laughs> one guy. God. He's on my couch and I'm going down. I'm leaving. <laughs> And I'm going to do a 10 to 2 or something. I don't know, some overnight show. Yeah. My wife and baby are upstairs. My wife and two babies are upstairs. And this con, Ever Ready Santiago, I'll never forget his name, is asleep on my couch. I didn't think anything about it. And, and later, my wife said, I didn't think anything about it either. But we had an ex-con yeah. on the couch and you laughed. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of different. Yeah, that was that was stupid. <laughs> but... but but you you already had a relationship with him, right? Well, yeah. these guys these guys knew me and they trusted me. So, you know, I, I would tell them once you get paroled, if you want to hold somebody up, come up to my house. I got a toy cash register, and we'll we'll work it. Oh, hell, this one guy he didn't have any money at all. So I took some albums from work, gave them to him. He went down to the fraternities at Ohio State. We split the money. <laughs> Is the statute of limitations run out on this kind of thing? It's so good. No, (laughs) you're you're good. You're fine. You're fine. The the, good, but it's it's so wild because you're you're living kind of a you're you're working on a free form rock format. You know, the other half is is religion (laughs) on the other twelve hours, but you're living this free form. But like your life is a little free form. You're just kind of like yeah, just going. It's wild. Yeah. But it just seemed like the thing to do back, you know, back, well, half of the, half the guys in prison. So you got your murderers over here, right? Yeah. Over here, you got 25 guys that are in for doing weed. Right. This is 1970, 71 guys possession are doing 10 years, man. Okay. They're young guys and they're terrified. They're terrified. They're going to get attacked and mm-hmm. God knows what's going to happen in there. So it, it, it was a, a mixture of, you know, and everybody was just thrown in there and it was, it was, so you, it was something. So what did you do? Put together an air check and, 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 and we're sending it around to different cities or did somebody, you mean when fr- I came to Pittsburgh, right. When you came, when you, when you came to Pittsburgh, how, mm-hmm. how did that happen? Uh, there was, I was at COL FM in Columbus COL AM was kind of the heritage top 40 station. And they had a jock there named Terry Tyler, who was from Pittsburgh. And he said, I know guys at this station, TVE in Pittsburgh, big album station, and the whole station's leaving to go to another station cross town. Everybody but one guy. Okay. (laughs) So it turned out there were like four or five jocks who were going to go to YDD. And only one guy, Ken Karpinski, stayed behind, and he was now the program director. He said, you should send him a tape. And I said, well, I don't want to go to Pittsburgh. I don't, yeah. You know, I'm killing it. I'm making 150 bucks a week by this time. You know, I said, hey. And, and you know yeah. all the prisoners, and you're selling records and splitting money. Right. Yeah. And I, made, 
I'm making, you know, I'm making money hand over fist. So I did send a tape and, and they called me and I came over to Pittsburgh and talked to the boss, Steve Berger. And I, he hired me that day Wow! and said, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Like, but I'm going to give you 12, five. He said, don't tell anybody because they're going to get upset. So then I find out Union Scale is twelve five. He Got had it. to pay me twelve five, <laughs> and I, I didn't tell his soul till later. And I thought, boy, I'm I'm killing here, man. I'm right. <laughs> I'm making twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Oh my god! So then I Rolling started doing in like three to <laughs> three to eight. What's funny? I, I I took the offer back to my boss first. I, I did do that. Okay, in Columbus. And I said, his name was Dan Morris. I said, Dan, I just got an offer from Pittsburgh, twelve five. I knew one hundred percent he would match it because I was making about seventy five hundred. Okay. And he said, Jimmy, be sure to stop back and visit when you're in town. <laughs> I said, Oh shoot, God help me. So I got. So, so now I, you're you're married. You have two kids, and you're moving. Two kids. And, and for those of you that uh, don't know what WDVE is, that is like the flagship the radio station in Pittsburgh. There's no other type of radio station like WDVE in the country. They're playing classic rock. Uh, anything that's uh, 10 years old, I think is the the cutoff. And, and they're, they're still playing songs that you were probably spinning whenever you got hired there. But like, to, you know, give, me, funny. give me like the landscape of, of like what WDVE was, whenever you were hired, because right now it's the monster of, of well, Pittsburgh. I got, I got to town the day Roberto Clemente died. Wow. New Year's day, 73 went on the air a week later and it was an ABC. Oh, and Oh, like KLOS in Los Angeles, uh, PLJ in New York. There were, I don't know, maybe six of them and they all were formatted the same way out of New York. And it was weird because we would play the Purple Led Zeppelin, John Denver, Temptation, Stevie Wonder. I remember playing, there was a song by Gilbert O'Sullivan, You're a Good Dog, Baby, Get Down. And if, you, if you've never heard of it, Google it and yeah. you'll say, an album station played this? But we were kind of, it was kind of in the early days of album rock where they were still, they were still hanging on to top 40. There was still a finger hold into that format. It's like it didn't have enough confidence to be a rock and roll album station. Right. And I even I was the program director and I think 75 to 77. And I remember our consultant, Lee Abrams, John Denver's double album live album came out. Thank God I'm a country boy. Mm hmm. And he was on the phone, Jimmy, get every cut on the album on the air immediately. <laughs> this is DVE, a heritage rock station. Right. And, and people you're don't believe me. Every John Denver me. cut. Yeah, they don't believe me that this was, you know, that that was what we were playing. I mean, we would play the Mahavishnu Orchestra, for example, these wildly progressive things, and then play John Denver. And how was what that you, received? How was it received by the audience? Back then... It was okay because they didn't know any different. It was there just whatever's really on the radio. Any. Right. We're talking 75, 76, okay. 77. And, and when you talk to people now who listened then, 
they swear it never happened. Oh, no, you didn't do that. You were just playing the stones and, you know. People remember what they want to remember, yeah. Right. They, They don't know. And also, that whole acoustic half is gone because at that time, Joni Mitchell, James Taylor, Carly Simon, uh, Dan Fogelberg made up not half, maybe 30% of the format. And that whole, whole segment is gone. Right. Classic rock stations don't do any of that. They don't play anything acoustic. Nothing, Mm -hmm. nothing like that. Right. Uh, which I always thought it'd be a fun thing to have a station that did that. I, I, it may not be number one with somebody, but it'd probably get a button, you know? Exactly. Somebody my age, I would I would give it a button just in the car. I'd say, oh, okay, let's we'll see what they're doing. But but that's what we did back then. We played all kinds of stuff. Your, your spectrum was all, it was just almost probably a full circle. It wasn't even a spectrum. It was, it, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, what it meant was, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. <laughs> right, right, right. So, I mean, it's like if you try to serve too many masters, you're not doing anything. Exactly. You know, you're trying like, to be too much to everybody. Too, yeah, right. Oh, well, we're doing that, so you you must love us, and we're doing that, so you must love us. And in re- reality, none of them were very pleased. They were, not, you know, they weren't that happy. You needed a more focused format, and and <clears throat> we got into that in the late seventies. John McGann came in as the program director from Buffalo and took my place because I was out on strike with the staff, which I was not supposed to go out on strike with him. <laughs> and so they brought him in to take my place. You seem like a, you seem like a coastal Ohio liberal. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're you're well, like, I'm just going to unionize with my whole staff. <laughs> well, I was in the union too. Right. And, and I thought, and I thought I can't stay in and work with my guys out on the street. Exactly. So I went out with him and they brought in John McGann. Well, it turned out John McGann was the ultimate. He was a program director. I was a DJ trying to be a program director. I didn't know what I was doing. Right. So he was a tremendous, tremendous promoter. And he came in and turned the station, gave it an identity. I mean, he went on and founded the Source Network in New York. Wow. um, With Dan Fermento, who was our production guy. And Dan went to New York with him. And started today in rock history, which has been on every day for 38, 40 years. Wow. In 500 radio stations. Wow. So John came in and turned it into a station, and we got a local identity by doing local bands. I started working with Steve Hansen in the morning, who was, had been here earlier doing an evening shift when I was program director. They asked me to do mornings. I said, I'll only do it if you get Steve to work with me, knowing he wouldn't come from San Francisco to work with me. But he did. Wow. So I was stuck and I had to do mornings. But <laughs> so can we can started, I can we yeah, let's yeah. let's let's stay right there for a second because as whenever I was like in high school, I'm thinking what am I going to do with my life? And I was listening at the time to a lot of uh Alan Cox on on the X. And then mm-hmm. from from Alan Cox, I kind of started listening to more of WDVE. So at, the, at at this time, I'm listening to uh, Randy and Jim Crenn. So Randy Bauman right. and Jim Crenn were the, were the morning show then. And that's what I've always, if somebody said to me, what do you want to do in radio? The first answer I always gave was, I want to be on in the morning on WDVE. 
I was like, that's that the idea of doing skits and interviews and, you know, phone calls and talking sports and everything that that morning show was, I was like, that's, that's what I want to do. So I would like mirror some of my stuff on the radio to what they were doing. But yeah, the more that I've learned about DVE is that that kind of shtick really started with you and Steve. Well, we were the first team before us, the morning show DVE it was just like the evening show. It, it was just songs. It, it was, you just played tunes. Right. And we came in and, started doing bits and characters and uh so how did that even come come about like are you are you sitting there at work one day and you're like hey i i had this idea what do you say we you know do the what, what didn't you have like well, a stick with like the robot or like something that would you had like a yeah i i had always done some bits in the afternoon by okay. myself okay in fact, some of them were eight to ten minutes long. I can't imagine. Oh I mean, literally. Yeah. I, I mean, I was doing these disco destruction things and these. I hated smoking, so I would kill cigarettes. I would give them personality and have them walk the plank. And I would. And back then, probably seventy percent of my audience smoked. Right. So I don't know how they tolerated that, but I would just do these bits. Well, they they hated them too. They they hated they hated that they had the grip on them. You know what I mean? That cigarettes Maybe had the grip was it. on the smokers. But I tried to do it with with humor. So I and also I knew Steve was an incredible creative genius, and so to work with him, you would have to use that talent. Okay. You couldn't just have him sit there and back announce records, you know. So we we just started right out of the box with characters and and different concepts, and we probably ended up with. 30 or 40 different characters that okay, would come so, by on a regular basis. So <laughs> that this is what I love, and this is what I always loved about, you know, Randy and Jim whenever I was in, in school and in college, is, you know, the characters that would call in and either comment on the news, comment on the sports or whatever. So what were the and, – and here's the, here's the thing. You would do some bits and stuff in the afternoon. Would you do bits and stuff like that whenever you were working in Columbus, whenever you're doing freeform rock, or were you just kind of introducing no. records? No, 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 no. It was, it was, it was very, it was just me playing songs and talking about them. Okay. So when, where you did know, the, where the idea for the bits come about? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly, right. I don't, right. you know, I, we're talking 45 years ago or something. I don't know. I, it just, I just started doing them and, and nobody yelled. So I kept doing them, you know? And yeah. if the boss had come to me and said, shut that crap up, <laughs> I, I would have, Uh huh. but they didn't. And, and we still, you know, the station was growing and I wanted to set it apart from other places. Cause for the first six, seven years, I was a DVE. We were just a jukebox. We were just, there was nothing special. And was there any other station in the market that was doing any of those skits? Doing it? YDD, where everybody went from DVE. Got it. Okay. Was doing it. And Zoom in Carnegie, ZUM, was doing some stuff too. So there were. There was competition. Outlets. There was something to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. when. when, So when you and, and Jimmy took over the morning show. 
where was DVE in the ratings or in the ranking or, you know, in the, in the zeitgeist of Pittsburgh at the time? I, probably our mornings were probably about six or seven, maybe eight. Well, you have to remember at that time, Jack Bogut was on KDKA. Jack Bogut had a 44 share. The number two person had maybe an eight. Okay. So, so yeah, that's what you're dealing with. You, right. you had, in fact, I'll see Jack out at a restaurant now. And I, I still like to go up to him, talk to his wife and go, you know, I was number two behind Jack. <laughs> he had a 44. I had a seven, but I was still number two. Right. Yeah. The, the top like 1% the in, the, in the dead ball era saying he was number two to Babe Ruth, you know? Oh, okay. I had three. <laughs> yeah. He had um, 60 home runs. You had three. I had three, but, but anyway, so, so that was, that was that, but you know, it was a steady progression. Once Steve got with me in 1980 and we started really promoting local music, we really, really, we realized we had six or seven bands here locally that were national quality that weren't being appreciated. So who are those, who are those bands? The House Rockers, B.E. Taylor. Yep. Silencers, Norm Nardini, um, Granati Brothers. Um, gosh, now I'm missing a few others. Uh, uh, is, is any there. other is any other radio stations at the time playing these local bands? No. Okay, no. so that was your shtick. That was it. That and was we, like we had real trouble getting it past the bosses. In the early days, we would play them before the boss got up. Ah, uh, okay. Well, that, that is the most fun. Isn't that the most fun of doing the morning is the hours when the boss is still sleeping? Well, but not now you can't with the computers. They know. Yeah, I know they know, but like they know what you're doing. They're not checking it that much. My bosses (laughs) did. Once the computers came in, they knew, they knew what I did at five o'clock at the first time I cracked the mic and they'd go, Oh, you went a little long there. Right. I mean, right. like, oh, come, please, yeah, please, just shoot me. So, I want to, so, I want to stay with you and Steve real quick before we come a, a little bit more present day. Um, yeah. So, so uh, the guy over at KDKA is is killing it. You guys have this slow progression. You're playing local artists, and you've got these new bits. And w- when did the the hysteria kind of start to surround you? You know what I mean? Because Jimmy and Steve, people will still say, yeah, I, I listen to Jimmy and Steve on DV. You know, yeah, Randy Bauman's good and Kren's good and even Paulson, you know, those guys are good. But I listen to Jimmy <laughs> and Steve. You know what I mean? So there was, you know what well, I mean? It was, it was within, you know what actually helped put us on the map? I hate to say it was when John Lennon died. Really? We'd been on together for two months and when he died, that morning we went on, and most of our audience was unaware of the fact he was dead. Yeah, of course. Whenever they announced it on Monday Night Football, it was late at night. So we were breaking the news to people. And other stations were just doing their thing. We didn't play a song all morning except some Lennon songs. And we just opened the phone lines, and it was a five-hour therapy session. Got it. Where people just talked about what was going through their mind. And that set us apart. And hmm. and I'll never forget, people have still come up to me and mentioned that day. And that was only as, two months into 
what you were into our working together. Yeah. Right. And did you yeah, treat, I, did you treat other tragedies like that moving forward? Well, if, there weren't, there weren't very many that we were on where I remember we did that when the mayor died of Pittsburgh, Mayor Caligiri. Okay. Um, he died and not quite to the extent we did with John Lennon, but there was another, I remember, I think GVE was out doing a live show that day. So they had to do all their standard shtick right in front of this bar crowd. Whereas we could be more emotional, you know, talk about, cause this guy, he, he was a pretty loved guy. The, the mayor. In Pittsburgh. Yeah. The mayor at that mm. time. And, uh, died a young man and, and it, it, it affected people. I can't remember too many other examples, but we were not ashamed to show emotion. Right. I mean, I cried on the air, I don't know how many times about different things. And, you know, and as just, soon as you do that, as soon as you're vulnerable, I mean, you can watch, you can watch any of these, like, you know, like bachelor and bachelorette. If the, if the guy doesn't cry trying to get the bachelorette, He's he's gone within the first couple of weeks. Showing <laughs> showing that kind of vulnerability is 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 an instant connection with the listener. Well, that's what I always said on the air. I said that's why God gave you tear ducts. I mean, that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. So if you can't feel that, re-examine yourself. But uh, yeah, those are, those are the things that I think helped set us apart. The local music, and then we started playing live concerts on the air mm. one of the first in the country mm. and we had a couple of genius engineers and we we were the standard for live radio broadcasts in the country probably did oh 50 60 of uh, album quality some of them were actually used in live albums by groups it was just amazing that would come and we would coming put those through in Pittsburgh. rotation yeah yeah we would put those in rate rotation and uh, play them, you know, instead of playing the Carry On Wayward Son for the four millionth time off the album, we would play the live version. Right. Which sounded better. Of course. So it was it was just, you know, it was a combination of all these things coming together that kind of propelled the station up. So did you just feel like whenever you were waking up in the morning and, and going to work, it wasn't even a grind? You're like, I cannot wait to see what we create and what happens today? No, quite quite the opposite. I was so stressed because what, it was like doing a mini Saturday Night Live every day. Yeah. We would write six bits a day, and then do And then do them the next morning? And do them the next morning. There are certain ones would require, say, a week of production, special yep. things. Mm-hmm. Like we did a thing called Miami Mice, and it took... For each episode, probably twenty man hours for five minutes. Right, and that and that uh, kind of production then could easily probably you, you could whip that together in twenty minutes, thirty minutes now with <laughs> you know what I mean with with the technology and editing software that exists now. Today, today it'd be amazing. Back then, well, let me digress for one second. Yeah. I had a nationally syndicated show from seventy nine to eighty two called the backstage special where I would interview a group, play their music. And it was on a hundred and seven or eight stations. 
all the production for that show, the editing of the interviews that I did was done at my house with my tape recorder with scissors and scotch tape. Wow. <laughs> you that... want to talk about time intensive. Right. And so <laughs> how did you be, how, how did your kids know you is the question. Like, where did you find time to be a, a husband and a father? Well, I think I did okay. <laughs> I, I coached my son a lot in his sports. Okay. Coach, Coach Roach. Coach Roach. And uh, I was able to, yeah, I was able to, the schedule was such that, you know, I'd get home at noon. Yeah. Maybe one o'clock. And so I was good until, you know, for ball games and stuff like that. The only other thing I had to do was make sure I set aside a couple hours so I could write. Right. Uh, just, you know, the, the, the stress of writing. Coming up just, with something creative every oh, single every day. day. It just, it, it was, in fact, Steve and I, we got fired after six or seven years of the morning show in 86. Okay. And I was working so hard. I, it was almost a relief to think, Man, I don't have to come up with a bit tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I, can, I don't have to write six things. I can I can recognize with that. And I know that you've been you've changed jobs a, a number of times. Um mm -hmm. whenever, you know, my boss pulled me in a month ago and he said, you know, we're eliminating your position, there was a bit of like a wave of relief because just here in Harrisburg, I had gone through so many like the morning show changed. So you think about all the production and all the imaging that has to change whenever the morning show changes or they're adding this show at night or this in the morning. And then we did a whole frequency flip from 106.7 and 93.5. And I just, I kept thinking about all the, like how many times I had to change everything. You know what I mean? Cut. cut. Well, you were in a, a tough position doing a morning show and programming is, is, is too much to ask. It is a, it is a, a lot. lot. Yeah. And whenever he was like, you know, we're eliminating the position, I, I thought, I don't have to, I don't have to watch the news. I don't have to scroll Twitter and worry about like, what, what's the, how can I connect this to something else and make it well, funny, know, make it relatable? That's, yeah, that, that's a good point. Because my last four, three, four years, I was at Y108. Mm -hmm. back where I had been fired from in the 90s. And it, it became so important to do social media. Of course. It, 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 not just do it, but do it like every half hour. Post something on Twitter, post something on Facebook, post something on the station site. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember going to the boss and saying, well, my my principal strength is, is a microphone. Exactly. I said, I... I, I'm not good at that. I think you can get anybody to do that. Just get somebody. No, we want you to do that. And I honestly got the feeling, and I've gotten this from other DJs who shall remain nameless, that that became more important than what went over the air. It became a click fest. How many hits? How many shares have you gotten? Right. On right. whatever you on whatever you've come up with. And I thought when I got fired four years ago, my first thought then was. I don't have to post anything. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to make up something to try to get clicks. I don't have to say, you won't believe what such and such looks like now. Right. I don't have to do that. Uh-huh. 
That is a, it, it is it a, a wave, thing. a wave of relief. So when you and Steve were let go from DVE, where did you go after that? Because you guys went to Florida for a little bit, right? Well, we, we got an agent in Chicago, and he found a job at She in Fort Lauderdale. And it's a legendary rock and roll station. Mm-hmm. But when we got down there, the boss, he said, well, what I want is Sandinista slash and burn humor. I said, well, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is that? And he said, well, it's, 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 it's Howard Sterny stuff. It's, it's, I said, well, you got Steve from Minneapolis and me growing up in Columbus. You got two Midwestern boys who don't have that sensibility. Our humor was always double entendre. It was always, it was never mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it was never attacking. You, you, you could have easily went back to the prison and asked them to <laughs> give you I, some I, slash I, and burn techniques. Yeah, please, <laughs> give, me some, give me some idea. So I, the first week we were there, Steve said to me, he pulls me aside and he goes, Jimmy, make sure you rent. I said, God knows I'm renting, man. I'm not buying a house down here. And uh, it, from the first day, you knew it was it was not going to work because they were looking for something that we weren't, which mm-hmm. is funny because they hired us off of our tape. Right. So, so I never did figure that out. I, yeah, I was I was always that's one one question I wanted to ask you was what happened in Florida because I I you know I just assumed that you guys had a certain type of humor that worked in Pittsburgh or say worked in the Northeast. So yeah. whenever it, whenever you went South to Florida, that has a different culture, a different idea of what, you <laughs> it's know, so appropriate that you said when you went South, because <laughs> it really did. You did. It really went South. It was, <laughs> it was like, Oh my God. I, I, and you know what Steve hated? Cause I had been on DVE for 13, 14 years. Right. As soon as we got down there, S-H-E and D-V-E flow off the tongue the same way. I said uh, D-V-E on that station 50 times. And you know what? I remember whenever I came in to learn how to run the morning show, because I, I did your morning show at Froggy twice. And I remember that you had that piece of paper. And it said, Froggy. I, I stared at it. <laughs> you had the name of the station. And I'm like, I'm like, man, for somebody, I mean, I understood you'd been on a, a couple of different stations, but like, still, it just wasn't <laughs> ingrained enough. No, you had the I name of the station. <laughs> every time I cracked the mic for the rest of my career, I had a piece of paper with the call letters on it and I stared at it. <laughs> I just stared at it. I, I, and that's why. Right. Because Steve wanted to kill me in Florida because I just. <laughs> you kept saying DVE. I would open the mic in Fort Lauderdale and say DVE and he would just want to reach across the, <laughs> and strangle me. Were you always the board and, op? Were you always? Always. Yeah. Always okay. the board op. Always the guy who came out of the songs. Yeah. Okay. And, and do you think that, and this is a, another thing that I remember learning uh, from you about doing mornings is you go, it's never 50, 50. It's, it's, no, it, and, no. and, and it can't be successful if it's 50, 50, if it's, it's gotta be 60, 40, 70, 30. And it will always be in a state of flux. It'll always be, it'll always transition because you have two living, breathing, growing creatures involved in this process. They don't reach a point of stasis or whatever you call balance 
and stay there. That's not the way it works. Every team I've ever met, if it, if they're two equal creators, now if one is is a subordinate like a Robin Quivers or whatever, then that stays the same. But if it's two principal players, mm-hmm. you know, it, it 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 always moves a little back and forth, and one will be more dominant than the other, and you know that's that's just the way I found it works. And one thing about you too is that uh, Jimmy Roach is your real name. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 kind of always been a a, a shock to me as well that you never <laughs> you, you didn't have to take on a a persona. And do you think? No, the, I, I in, in fact, when I was a program director at DVE, I unpopularly to the jocks made all of them go back to their real names. Hmm. And do you think what I wanted was? Uh, an honesty that comes with being yourself. I, that's what I was and, about to and ask. Also, and also, I wanted, I wanted some ethnicity in Pittsburgh. I wanted a guy named, you know, uh, Wisniewski. And, <laughs> you know, and I wanted Mike, somebody, you know, Mike like, Wazowski. Like, yeah, that's what I wanted. Right. I want those real things. And I, I, it's funny. I just met about a month ago with Herb Crow, who was a DJ in the '70s at DVE. He's been in Tucson for 30 years, but we were, we were talking and he said, I said, remember when I made you change your name? And he goes, yeah, I had just found a name I liked. I was T Jacob Jones. <laughs> and I came in and I said, Herb, tomorrow you're Herb Crow. <laughs> right. You're not, you're not T Jacob Jones. It's, it's like, almost like whenever there's a, uh, a froggy station and they come in and oh. go and they go, uh, uh, okay, uh, we know that your name is Jimmy Roach, but uh, tomorrow you're going to be James Pond. And it's like, right. Well, what? they wanted me to be jumping Jimmy Roach and that lasted three days. I said, <laughs> I don't jump. Jimmy, you know what? You and I at the Froggy Network, when we worked together, we were the only ones that didn't have frog names. Yeah. They you, didn't have cartoony names. But yeah. like Chachi by itself was already, I guess, I think, I think I may have told Frank that Chachi was Spanish for frog. (laughs) Either him or Gerald, our bosses, I think that I may have pulled the wool over their, their eyes on that. Oh, that's priceless. (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah, Chachi's just, you know, Spanish for frog. And, you know, I would tell listeners that too. And, uh, people would just, people would just buy it. And then I, and then, you know, I left radio and then I went back to a froggy station in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And I, I took on the persona of Mo Skeeter, which they, you know, if you, if you know, like, if you ever listen to rap songs and you're like, oh, skeet, skeet, motherfucker. And like, that's, that's a, that is a, that is a, uh, how should I put it? A bodily... Move that only a guy can do. So whenever I'm uh, on the air and I'm going, I'm mosquito. I'm like in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, these rednecks think that I'm a, a mosquito. But if if anybody has any know. right any like rap knowledge at all, oh, they're like, my oh goodness, God. how did he get that past management? So, so what what was the transition from rock and roll to country? Well, that was in 91, and uh, Steve and I had left Magic 97, which is now Bob in Pittsburgh. Okay. And we decided we were going to try different things, go our separate ways or whatever. And and I'd heard 
They just had an opening at the Y108 Morning Show in town, and this was right after Garth Brooks had come out, Travis Tritt, Flint Black, these kind of hipper guys. Right, country was cool. Were coming into country music, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I liked, I've always liked singer-songwriter stuff. I was a big James Taylor, Fogelberg guy, and that's just what this was. That's where the singer-songwriters were, 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 was in country music. Mm -hmm. And so the transition that people think was so hard was not hard at all. Because those singers were singing songs with a guitar. Mm-hmm. That's what I liked anyway. I could still like my rock and roll. I could still listen to Led Zeppelin, and I could still listen to Garth Brooks. So it was not hard at all. People made it harder. They, you know, like hardcore fans who thought, "My God, he can't possibly like that." Mm-hmm. You know, but it's one of those things that if you just relax and let yourself appreciate what was there, you'd say, oh, well, there's musicianship, there's songwriting. I can like this. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I was, uh, I was, I liked punk rock, you know, through college. And then whenever I got hired at uh, Womp in Wheeling, it was top 40. And I just really wanted to be on the air. So I took that weekend shift on Froggy in Pittsburgh because it was, uh, you know, same company, Key Market. And, and then um, I, the first, one of the first shifts I had in Pittsburgh, which those studios were immaculate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Coming from like college mm-hmm. stations, those studios were pristine. And they had all the TV screens and all the computer screens around. It was like the Starship Enterprise in there. And I remember the something had gone wrong with the operating system. And I, I couldn't tell you the difference between Kenny Chesney and Toby Keith at that time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm just rolling off of whatever the music log says and everything else. So something was wrong where it wasn't counting down the intros. So I'm like talking over intros of songs that I had no idea when the guy was going to start singing. <laughs> Can you imagine like the, the, the radio nightmares? We could talk about the radio nightmares where like, I, I still have nightmares about that shift of like, I don't know what the song is. It's counting down. The bar isn't changing colors. You know what I mean? Like I was, it was like flying a plane completely blind. And I was, I was so nervous about that. But like my friends would even say like, how did you go from being this rock guy to country? And I'm like, well, that's just where the job was. And I, I, I mm-hmm. that's kind of what I wanted to ask you is if, if the country was more or less something that you did gravitate toward or it was, that's where the job was. Well, I probably would have been more comfortable to just have another rock and roll job. Cause I'd done that for 20 years, Yeah, 21 years. But, uh, but, it, but the, like I say, the transition was so seamless that it didn't bother me. It, you know, there are formats I wouldn't have fit in at all with mm-hmm. that. I wouldn't have, you know, I like top 40 format. I wouldn't, I, you know, a rap thing. I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. But these two formats were close enough related that it was a, a seamless transition. It, they were, it didn't they, bother me at all. They were kissing cousins, and that just goes yeah. really good with country. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's talk about Pittsburgh for a little bit, because, I mean, this is where the, you, went, you went from Y108, and then from Y108 you went to Froggy and then back to Y108? Yeah. Was that the transition? Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Well, I got I got fired at Y108 because I was too old. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. 
Continue. Uh, they, the bosses, we came in, were sold. The bosses came in and told the sales staff in meetings that I had mentioned the grandchild on the air. And that was a no. Well, yeah, I, I became a grandparent at 44. Um, but I didn't think it made me need a walker. Right. So, but I the, thought they it separates was, you. It separates you. I, I, they determined I was too old for that and uh, fired me. I ended up suing them. They settled. Oh, nice. Um, because they people took notes in the sales meetings, copious notes, and brought them to court. Mm. But anyway, did you put that settlement into your grandchild's education fund? Because that's really who got enough. you the settlement. <laughs> it was not a big enough settlement to do that. It was more of a. It was what they call a moral victory or a pyrrhic victory or whatever they. Yeah. They say in Greek tragedy, but so I was there from ninety one to ninety eight. Then I couldn't find a job in town, and I wanted to stay. And there was an opening at Wasp in. Uniontown. Okay. A little country station out 50 miles from here. Right. So where, where do you live and in, where do you live in Pittsburgh? What? I live in Bethel park in the South Hills of Pittsburgh. So right. I, it, it was doable. You know, I didn't want to have to drive an hour every morning, but <clears throat> you do what you got to do to eat. Yep. So I took that job and enjoyed it and uh, learned a whole new area and a new audience out there. And then after a couple of years, the froggy people came in and, uh, and, and moved us on. to a different studio. And then eventually we ended up in Green Tree in Pittsburgh and the rest is history. Yeah. And then from what, well, I don't even remember what happened from froggy to Y108. How did, how did well, that at froggy, there was a change in managership at froggy. Okay. And the, the owner slash whatever came in and said, uh, tomorrow your pay is going to be cut by $37,000. And I said, oh, really? <laughs> and he said, yeah. He'd been wanting to do that forever. He just hadn't been in a position to do it. Got it. Got <laughs> it, it really upset him yeah. that I was making any money at all on his radio station. Uh-huh. Because so, because jocks are dogs. And, oh, in his opinion, jocks are not maybe the dog that you leave out on the leash in the winter. <laughs> right. But not a house dog. Right. They don't even get a they don't even get a dog house. No, just, no, no, no just, dog house. It's just no, the no. shivering dog outside on the right. leash. They can't even run to try to find a warmer house. Right. All of those things. <laughs> so then I, I started looking around and, and uh Y108 had an opening because one of the guys, uh, Zeke on the morning show was moving to Florida and he had been working with Monty, who was my old partner when I was there before. Mm -hmm. So I went over and talked to him. And as it turned out, we were able to come to an agreement, but they didn't want to breach the contract I had with Froggy. And I said, well, that's already been breached. Oh, of course. When he took my salary away from me. So I ended up being able to go to, why would I wait? And if the froggy people were thrilled because they could bring somebody in at $3 a week. Yep. And you know, you know I, and, I got, whenever I was out here and I was doing mornings, I got the call to come and like interview for the morning, uh, in Pittsburgh. 
So like, it was, it was like right about that time. And I kept thinking to myself, like, you know, look, I I don't have any regrets about any decisions that I've made um, because it's all, all panned out. Like even when I left my current job, you know, after I went and gathered my things, I sent a message to my bosses and I thanked them for taking a chance on some kid from West Virginia uh, because everything good and pure in my life, meeting my wife, having my kids, it has, is all because they hired me in Harrisburg. But there, yeah. you know, you you want you. Know, there's still the question of what if, and you know, if I wouldn't have left Froggy, and I was still doing the nights, would that have transitioned me into the morning show? And because I I didn't realize how good. I had it at 23 years old working in market 25. You know, you wonder Mm -hmm. what if, what if, especially in Pittsburgh, you know, growing up only 40 minutes away in Weirton and, you know, just absolutely adoring all of the teams within Pittsburgh. You know, you wonder like, man, what, what, what if, what would have happened there? But it seems like it was, everything kind of worked out the way it should. I think it probably did. Seeing pictures of you and your family on Facebook, I think you did really well. Oh, I definitely married up. Well, as they say, what's the old term about out kicking your coverage? Yes, you really, uh, <laughs> as, as really, yeah, really did well there. <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. But uh, you know, it, it, life. There's always so many choices and you just look at the ones and say well the the path i take was it disastrous no 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 i mean nobody has a perfect path you know we're all influenced by different things possibly it would have been a horrific situation for you if you did mornings there i know that it had gotten untenable for me Mm -hmm. i just I, i i didn't want to be around at that time you know you're working with some great people and then you have some over here that you know, you wouldn't. What's the phrase? You wouldn't put a to put out a fire on them or whatever. You <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't you piss know, on them. Yeah, like, if they were on fire. Yeah, yeah. you wouldn't do that. Yeah. So, you know, you just you look back and you go, well, these choices worked out well. Yeah. You know, though, I do feel for you because you're young and you're in radio. It's like being young in newspapers. It's like, wait, how come this paradigm shift? How come this whole thing's going to hell now? It's like. When I, you know, like I say, when I got into radio, it was totally 100% free form for three years. Right. That was where I learned I did everything I wanted to do exactly the way I wanted to do it. Then when I started doing mornings, I got to do basically what I wanted to do because mm-hmm. we were successful. And then as, as the business model became more sophisticated and consultants became more sophisticated and the investment became bigger in the properties – the whole philosophy changed, and they squeezed and squeezed and squeezed the life out of the product and the performers of that product. And what you end up with is, I mean, some of my best friends in radio in Pittsburgh right now, their breaks are all pre-recorded, They're all pre-timed. You know, mm-hmm. you've got eight seconds here. You've got 12 seconds there. And a little. That's and it's not it's, a business. Right. It's really vanilla. It's, um... I, it's, a, it's not a business I want to be in. I'm so lucky that they fired me when they did. I, they fired me in mid-July. I was going to retire in October. So it was it was a blessing to me to get fired. I mean, it, it, for many, many reasons, but it was a, a real blessing to get fired then. And they pulled me in and everybody had on their black suits. I guess the one 
HR director when she wears her black dress. That's the day somebody gets fired. So they pulled me in and they said, you know, Jim, we we're going to have to let you go. And I was smiling. And I'll never forget the boss who has since been fired said, Jimmy, you're taking this really well. <laughs> and I'm thinking, God bless him. I'm going to get unemployment I wouldn't have gotten if I'd quit on my own. I'm good. They're going to give me 90 days or whatever here. They're going to, I mean, it's, it's such a blessing. And the, I don't have to get up and do this crap anymore. The, the uh, I, I was thrilled. The reason why I, I thought about doing this podcast is something that I saw maybe you say in an interview or something where in radio, they don't let you say goodbye. So yeah. I I really wanted to do this podcast for people and for me. Well, you know, now with social media, you could jump on there. And, you know, as I did, I poured my heart out and I, you know what I mean? And I can say, this is what happened. But before social media, jocks just went away. They just, you know what I mean? It's kind of like pixie dust, just disappeared. So I was like, if, if, if I get to interview people in that scenario, maybe they'll be able to talk a little bit about their career, but also say, Hey, thanks for listening over the years. And you know what I mean? And actually, um, in a sense, show those people that, you know, always wondered, Oh, I wonder whatever happened to him you know, this, this is what happened to them. You know, this is the career yeah. they had. And, and, uh, it's so rare to, well, my friend, Sean McDowell just left DVE mm-hmm. and he announced his retirement. It was on very good terms and he got to do a last show. And that was a celebration of his great career. And it was wonderful, but those are so rare. That is so rare. So rare. I got to do a final show with Steve in 86 when we left DVE. And it was because we didn't tell the truth about getting fired. <laughs> We didn't. We didn't go public with that. People right. thought we left to get this big deal in Miami. Got it. We should have told the truth. We should have said no. We got fired, and we're not pleased with it. But uh, but that's hindsight. But that's why we got to do a last show. Yeah. yeah. So, well, it's been it's been really cool talking with you. Do you realize we've been talking for an hour at this point? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's a, you know, once you start, once you start talking and reminiscing, this is the kind of thing that I, I really wanted to have, you know, with, with this podcast is really just two radio nerds talking about, you know, radio and, you know, what well, happens can, in the business. We can go for another four or five hours. Oh. We can keep going. Yeah, let's go. Well, let's, let's make I'm, it <laughs> your, your episode one. You know what? I was actually talking to a buddy of mine. His name's Rick. He's, he's, uh, he was, uh, uh he worked at DV for a little bit. I met him whenever I went to Parkersburg, just a, just a radio genius. He's all, like his head and that mouse up there on that wheel is always spinning. And I go, mm-hmm. I got, I got Jimmy Roach. He's going to be my, my first guest, my first episode. And he goes, dude, you could do a 12 episode series with Jimmy. And I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe that's what I should probably do. I'll just be like, you know, every 12th episode is just Jimmy again. <laughs> well, when you run out of people, Chach, you, just, you got the number. So when you run out of people and you're down to like the part-time guy at the day timer. <laughs> right. Okay. We'll, we'll circle call, back around. Call me. We'll circle back around. Now. I'll find out about how you broke up that riot in the prison. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a whole other thing. Right. That's, a that's whole what other, I'm saying. Well, you take care of yourself and, and let me know what's going on with your career. I'll keep following you on 
Facebook and your podcast and see what's up. Okay, Jimmy, it's been a real honor. Thank you for being my first uh, guest on the Face for Radio podcast. And uh, uh, good luck to you and enjoy retirement. And what do you, you have, you have great grandbabies at this point? I just have grandbabies. I, okay. I haven't got a great one yet. Okay. I'm working on that. Well, my Nana had to wait like 90 some years for that. So, <laughs> just, you know, you probably won't have to wait that long. I hope not, Josh. All right, Jimmy. It was All great right, well, talking you take with care. you. Thanks so much for uh, thanks so much for including me. I had a great time. This was fantastic. All right, have a good one. All right, bye bye.